Welcome to another episode of 353rd. This is episode number 79. I am one of your hosts, Scott Barstow. And I'm the other, Anders Brownworth. Anders, I've been reading a very interesting book uh, over the course of the last week, and I know you'll have a lot to say about it as you do about everything. Uh, but the, the title of this particular book is, is called Identity is the New Money. Uh, it's by a guy named David Birch. And mm-hmm. I remember you sending me uh, a YouTube video of this guy. He's a, he's a British dude uh, who focuses on uh, all things identity and talks about Bitcoin a lot. But I thought it'd be interesting to explore the topic of identity uh, in a bit more depth than we have previously. And in particular, there are two or three topics around uh, the subject of identity. One is pseudonymity versus having one identity. Mm-hmm. And the other is the idea that privacy and security are opposites instead of being able to address both at the same time. So there's this, yeah. as you know, there's this, this thought process that you can't have both of them. And I would argue, and David Birch argues very well, that you can have both. And uh, so I thought we would uh, just kind of venture into this topic and see what happens. I love it. So the the first thing is uh, this idea of pseudonymity versus one identity. And as you know, if uh, if you live here in the U.S. and really any other country, uh, the government issues you when you uh, when you pop out of your mother's womb, you get issued some sort of government identifier. Mm-hmm. And when you and I were growing up, the your social security number was something you used for everything. Yeah. So you, if you opened a bank account, you had to have a social security number. I remember when I was in college, your social security number was what they used to post grades of all things. Really? I mean, yeah, it was just bizarre, and I can remember going and you know walk, walking past the professor's door, and outside would be a list of everybody's social in the class and the grade that they got on that test, <laughs> which now is just, it seems absurd. That would never happen. Yeah. Right. It's, it's inconceivable that you, would, yeah. that you would do that now. But so there's this, I think there's this raging debate about whether uh, we should be identified by one single identity that's verifiable or whether we should be identified by as many pseudonyms as we want uh, which, of course, all are still verifiable in some meaningful way, mm-hmm. and and there's this. There, I think there's people on both sides of this uh, of this issue. You've got folks like uh, OneName.io, yep. where you go and register, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, OneName.io slash you know Anders or Scott, and then you've got to verify that with various uh, social media services. So they'll verify that you have. A fa- they'll verify your Facebook account, your Twitter account, and you get this sort of graded uh, veracity of your ID based on how many other systems they can prove that you are a member of. Right. And but still, the idea is that it would all tie back to one name, and that name is uh, is how you might, let's say, receive Bitcoin payments or get some other form of digital payment. Sure. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's a more interesting idea, and that is the idea of pseudonyms. And we've uh, we've had pseudonyms for probably as long as humans have been writing, at the very least. Uh, the idea of uh, you know a pen name or something like that, where uh, where I can be I can take on some other identity for the purpose 
of uh, whatever purpose I see fit. But in the end, it's still me. Right. And it seems to me that the pseudonymity approach makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And the way it might work is that let's say a um, let's say a bank or some other institution uh, sort of serves as the authority for your identity, and then you can generate as many pseudonyms from that identity as you'd like. And those pseudonyms, what someone would know about you is that behind that pseudonym is a real person. They may not know who that person is, but mm-hmm. there's a real person behind that pseudonym. And, uh, and it allows me to sort of obfuscate my identity as I see fit, rather than saying, this is who I am authoritatively. I just say, this is the kind of person that I am. Um, and there is some authority that says, I have the authority to, uh, I guess, you know, act in these ways, or uh, let me start that over. Um, so there's some authority that says uh, this person is a, is has registered with us, and they are mm-hmm. uh, they are who they say they are, but they don't necessarily have to share with you actually who they are. So a pseudonym might be I might use a pseudonym for uh, my identity on Facebook. I might use my a pseudonym for commenting on blogs or writing a blog or something like that. Um, so what are your thoughts about the whole idea of pseudonymity versus one kind of known identity? Well, the, the obvious corollary that, that you actually brought up and I'm, I'm always going to go to is Bitcoin. So here's a system where uh, your identity is really not, is really just proved by the fact that you have access to the private key, but it doesn't have to be just one. You can have as many as, as you want. So you can create a whole bunch of addresses, you know, and, and share the public part of those addresses and, and sign anything with any one of the private keys that you have. Uh, the reason for doing that would be so that maybe transactions are, are less trackable to a single human being. So that's, uh, you know, there, there's, there's probably positives and negatives to that. Um, and the fact that of course, computers can handle kind of any number of these things. So well, well, the government's decision to put one number to one person is understandable in a pre computing era suddenly there's this ability to remember forever any number of things for any number of entities. Maybe you don't have to do a one-to-one. Um, I, I think there's a lot of uh, benefit there. And, and just famously with Bitcoin, there are so many different things that could be solved. The only one that was chosen was a financial instrument. Now, it could have very easily also chosen or instead have chosen to do the identity problem. But right now, identity, as far as Bitcoin is concerned, is just ownership of keys. People who know somebody who knows a private key effectively owns all the entries on the public ledger for that uh, that have been assigned to that public key of the that address. So. I don't know. I think there's um, 
uh, is certainly a, a very useful thing. And then you have all these instances in the modern world where, you know, like you're saying one name, where you're trying to draw the systems together. Now, the problem with one name, of course, is so I have a Twitter account and, and whatever else I have. And these things are, are pretty much just one to one. I don't have a hundred Twitter accounts, but I do have literally probably a hundred thousand uh, Bitcoin addresses. I've got a lot of Bitcoin addresses and I don't. So if I put one into one name and then one person pays me, I kind of want to put another one there. Now there are things that you can do to allow others to generate addresses for you, a hierarchical uh, system. There is a hierarchical, a hierarchical system so that you can retain a master key and then give another entity a a, a pro, like a like a derivative key that can generate other addresses for you, but they can't uh, figure out the the private key, the master private key necessary to spend from those addresses. But it's done in a deterministic way, so that you with the master key can always know. So I would have thought that one name would have done something like that, and then just listen for transactions on the network and when you hear one of the addresses being used it just automatically switches to a new address for you effectively you know bringing along the multiple uh the multiple sort of a you know pseudonymity to uh to what is essentially a single name system yeah i thought it was an interesting way it feels like one name feels like uh, applying new technology in an old way almost right like why do do i want to just be known by one thing and i think to your point of what's different now the primary difference now is that we all carry around with us in our pocket the a, a device that can either a do the math or b store any number of identities that we want mm-hmm. and we can use those at will and so you have this you have this remarkable thing that you're carrying around your smartphone uh, that can that before now there was no way for anyone to manage let's say thousands of identities even right uh, and now there's a there's an authoritative definitive way for me to say I'm using this identity for this particular purpose and there's a there's a system backing this that says I am who I say I am. But you don't have to know who I am. All you need to know is that this identity is valid and that uh, I'm presenting it to you and you can use that for the purpose that we've agreed upon right now. Um, so I think it's, there's this, it feels like we still have a ways to go on this. And I think the, you've got kind of the, the centralized thinking and everybody gets sort of squirrely, uh, especially you know, governments and things like that when you talk about you know, being known by thousands of ways and everybody starts getting scared about what that means. Right. And I think yeah. because, you know, the, the everybody goes the Silk Road path where they say, well, you know, that will enable all sorts of uh, nefarious activity. And I think uh, for me, as long as there's it's done right and you have these trusted institutions on the back end uh, sort of backstopping the whole thing, you've potentially uh, handled both privacy, which is what I'm interested in, and then security, which is what everybody's generally interested in. And it feels like that's a that's a that's a that's something that can be done 
that something can be done now as, a, as opposed to even 10 years ago. It really wasn't possible uh, for us to even be having this conversation. And so the, it brings up another interesting point, which is this idea of credentialing. And, and what I mean by credentialing is uh, there are things that I'm allowed to do based on who I am. So, for instance, I can drive a car because I have a driver's license or I can walk into a bar and buy a drink because I'm over 21. Mm-hmm. Right now, the way that works is that I have to carry a state-issued identity around with me and everybody then can see who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think what's uh, something that's interesting in the Identity is the New Money book is he talks about this idea of credentialing, which is basically to say that there are things that I can be given permission to do yeah, that have I'm nothing to, to drink. Yeah, that have nothing to do with who I am. Yeah, it's just that somebody there's an authority somewhere that said you've been granted this permission based yeah. on the fact that you passed a driver's test or yeah. you know whatever. You know, this is something you can do without the person on the other side of the transaction having to know who you are. And and this is where, for me, the whole privacy aspect of credentialing gets very interesting. Because now, I'm not having to say, and you think about that as it pertains to exchanging money, you know, I don't have to carry around a credit card with my name on it mm-hmm. and my number on it. There's just something on that that I carry around that has to say, you know, here's an identity that you can use. Here's a well, here's not a, an identity. Here's here's a token that yeah, here's like a token. Apple yeah, Pay. That's know? right. That's right. Yeah. But the the idea of being able to grant someone credentials to do something without having to say, well, this is Anders Brownworth, and he lives at such and such. Yeah, one, and two, three, Main Street, whatever. That's right. So, like all of that information is irrelevant yeah. for the most part. There's and it's you almost never need to know someone's name if you think about the number of times in a day where you interact with someone yeah. and they need to know your name it's almost never yeah and and so if you think about the privacy aspect of that that gets really interesting very quickly because now i'm not exposing all of this information about me my street address my you know all these things that i now have to share because we're stuck in kind of the stone ages almost on this on this topic um but what do you think about credentialing uh, as a way kind of going forward of protecting privacy and things like yeah. that? I think the uh, presupposition of the issuers of credit cards, for example, back in the 70s was that you, the, the, you, it was basically impossible to i mean you had you have to remember the way this was done there were these big you know chunk chunk like machines that you'd put your card in there and it would take an impression of the card and uh you know effectively make a carbon copy of the number uh, onto two or three pieces of paper and then you would physically sign that and that that was the state of the art that's the way the system used so there was a a uh, there was a never a thought that there would be an automated way to grab all those right so the the presupposition then of the government at the time and and of people at the time was that the only reason you would want to use 
another pseudonym would be for nefarious purposes. That's right. Whereas, so I might have. That's yeah. right. I might have ten. Why would I need ten credit cards? Or right. You know, why would I need a credit card that didn't have my name on it? The only reason that somebody would want that is because they wanted to say stay obfuscated, right? right? And the only and the only reason the leap was, well, if you're not willing to talk about who you are in this transaction, then you must be trying to hide something right that exactly. was sort of the 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 prevailing thought and still is it, it right it, it absolutely is and so the question is how do you move people away from that and forward to a a scenario where you know like we've talked about this before the merchant is not incented to keep your your private information private i mean they they have no desire for that information no need so right. why do they, you know, why do they, why do they even have it? Um, yeah. Previously, or even now, they're trusted to keep it, uh, keep it safe uh, forever. And of course, you have all these huge, uh, uh, you know, break-ins or, or compromises that clearly, you, you know, should just not ha- not have to be a worry that. Um, merchants have because all they really care about is the one time give me the money yeah yeah well and, and if you think about so here's what here's the road that i went down i was thinking about this last week if you think about the idea of uh, one of the main reasons that merchants store your information is because they want to know how to market to you right they want to know that you're yeah you know a 42 year old white male with 2.5 kids and you live in this zip code and on and on and on and well if you think about the idea of uh, me having more granular control over that, thinking about think about me being able to do something with Target or Walmart, like or you know some of these other companies where I can say, I'll choose to give you some of my information. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who I am, but I'll share with you the you know my age and how old my kids are. But I'm going to do that in return for something else. Yeah. In, in return for that, you're going to give me you know a 10 percent discount every time i shop and you know and and oh by the way when i shop i'm not going to use the same credit card number every time i'm going to give you a, a token that you'll know it's me you'll know it's the same person you won't know who it is and so i think what that allows the consumer to do is is have more control over the kind of information they share how often they share it uh, and so they can sort of trade that information instead of it now just automatically being coughed up because it's on the mag stripe of the card. You know, so now the merchant knows who I am because when I swipe the card, my name's on the mag stripe and right. so, so you got the, all of this stuff that just goes with it, right? Right. As the question is, do the, do the people uh, in the general populace care about that or do the people in the general populace care more about the ability to just tap and pay or do something, you know, very convenient rather than pull out a card, swipe it through the thing. You would have thought that wasn't a lot, but apparently it is. Um, Unfortunately, I think they care more about uh, the speed of the checkout process or something like that than they do about being tracked. And the the case in point there is people walking around with a keychain that has like 20 – loyalty cards on it right i mean you're the the loyalty card if you use your credit card to do the purchase there is effectively no use for a loyalty card that's right they know exactly so why do you have a loyalty card why do they pay you 
to have a loyalty card and they pay you by cheaper prices, having you pay yeah. less. Well, the reason they do that is so that they can track you. But if you use a credit card for every purchase, then they can just they can track you even better because they they know it absolutely is you by your name, etc. That's right. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, and you I get that with care. things like you get these merchants now that. Uh, whether it's Square or any other kind of payment processor, it's like, well, do you want an email receipt? Like you get that question all the right. time now, and and so you you know that somewhere there's a hook tying you know this card number to an email address somewhere, and so and that's without even having a loyalty. So it's it's almost like people are willing. I think you're right. There's this there's this willingness to kind of cough up big chunks of who you are. Uh, in return for what are, in the end, minuscule sort of discounts, mm-hmm. and 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 so I think there's an opportunity here uh, as we go forward where I can say, uh, and I don't know how many people will do this. I think it's a it's a valid question. Your question's a good one. Is the technology will be there, but how many people will care that I can have, you know, five thousand identities, and mm-hmm. you know, literally I can be token. Five six seven eight to Target and token one two three four to Walmart and none of the neither of those merchants know authoritatively who I am, right? And but if somebody you know if I use that if I use that token to you know do something that I shouldn't do if I do something illegal and there's a you know the police need to know who I am they get a warrant and right. somewhere there's a there's a way. Through PKI and through keychains, there's a way to get to who I actually am, mm-hmm. but only the government or some valid authority can sort of connect those dots. Yeah, and I think the, the if you think about it, Target has no reason to know what my name is, you know, and anything else about me other than what I offer them. Yeah, and I think it sort of levels the playing field uh, if we're able to through credentialing and through the use of tokens. And all of these things that are coming on the scene now, it seems like there's this really unique opportunity coming where we will be able to uh, control much more granularly the kinds of things that we offer up in terms of our identity. And, and, and really, if you think about this in the context of one other thing that I'd like to just explore briefly is the idea of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about the, the effects of this, Uh, All of this technology that we're talking about in healthcare, think about being able to walk into, you know, a clinic and where they know, okay, this person, you know, is uh, allergic to this kind of medicine or whatever the, you know, whatever things you might need to know about me. But again, you don't need to know who I am necessarily, Mm -hmm. right? So I can have this identity and when I walk into this healthcare clinic and I don't have to give up my social security number I don't have to write some junk on a form. You know, I don't have to fill that stupid form out that you fill out when you go into a new doctor where it's like, here's all the things I'm allergic to. Yeah. And here's my social and here's For my birthday. Yeah. And just all these absurd things that just think about the risk that you're taking. Every time you write all of that stuff down on a piece of paper, yeah. you're trusting that, you know, fast med doctor, you know, doc in a box. Uh, yeah, it's to not going to dispose leak that. of that. Yeah. Properly, they're not going to, you know, they're going to shred it properly. They're going to do all these things. And so it's all of these things that we've just taken for granted because that's how it was done up until now. 
we do have well, this really unique opportunity right now to kind of change the playing field a bit. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, I mean, certainly there is a, a bit of this is the way, you know, it's always been done this way, so we're going to keep doing it this way. But it's important to remember why that wasn't a problem before and why that decidedly is a problem now. Before, when the world was less connected and data couldn't be copied freely and you know, effectively, freely, uh, and easily. When you're living in a world where that is the case, and let's, you know, the the companies that we're talking about, if you're going to a doctor in your example, uh, and writing down, here's my name, here's my social, here's my date of birth, all this, this vital information, the the only reason you're writing that down is that so some poor office worker in the back can type it in yet again, into their system and you know they're the same that's right information wants to be free so that so, your insurance got filed correctly and everybody right. got paid and all of those things right so so you are writing it on that piece of paper so that it may enter the digital world that's right uh, so it's it's kind of no big surprise here that you have these uh leaks of information you have these big privacy problems you have all kinds of you know re- well first of all you have the old world and the new world colliding, making uh, healthcare very expensive in the way that, uh, you know, I, I could just hand you a token that points off to a, a thing and allow you to, to get access to the things you need, i.e. what I'm allergic to. And That's right. Not my, my, you know, social security number or something that. Yeah, See, or my buying totally preferences, or who right. I'm married to, or anything like that. Right. I can just uh, I can just pass you a token that gives you access to the right stuff, and then at the end of the day, that token can you know essentially self destruct. So unless you have a copy of the things that you needed, uh, you know it's the only way to uh, sort of sort of uh, have a have a piece of the building block that could be put together to reconstruct my identity. I, it's much harder. Um, so, and and it's easy to drop that information when you no longer need it. Whereas there are all kinds of, in the way the world is constructed now, there's all kinds of reasons why you would want, like, for example, in the credit card case, I can come back at day 89, uh, and, and, do a chargeback uh, on some transaction that happened a long time ago, and the credit card company will will fight for me as a consumer and reverse yes. that charge, and you know. So therefore, that puts the onus on the, these companies to keep this information. Remember who bought the whatever it is, and be able to to handle that. And yeah. you know, there's no need for this. That's I mean, right. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to do that in a world that would be a financial world constructed more like uh, Bitcoin, where the the money is pushed irrevocably. Yeah, um, and you have uh, going back to the medical example. I can use that token to say, you know, here's what I'm allergic to, and oh, by the way, you can use this same token to get payment from my insurance company, right? Or right. you know, whatever those things are. Like you have this really nice way of handling it that you wouldn't have had. But your point is a good one that you had. The reason these things existed is because, and still do exist to a large extent, is that there's still somebody pecking away in the back office of that medical clinic, 
you know, putting that information into some system, right? As opposed to it just being there, yeah. And and in some ways, the U.S. is way behind in adopting some of these uh, these technologies, where you've got uh, you've got other countries that, uh, for instance, um, uh, oh gosh, what's the name of it? Um, it's one of the Baltic states, Estonia, um, Latvia, Estonia. Yeah. yeah, so uh you've got company you've got countries like Estonia which have a full digital ID already and are already headed down this path. You've got countries like Norway and others that are already working toward this kind of token based system. And you know, here we are, it feels like in many ways the US is in the Stone Ages uh with paper everywhere still. Yeah and, and things well, we like are. that. We are, but but here's so so here's a case in point on that. Uh I go to the dentist and they you know, I'm I'm gonna sign up or whatever. So they were all excited about this iPad app that they had. And they I walk in, it's actually not bad. I walk in, they hand me an iPad and I fill out the form that's on the iPad, i.e. I type my name, blah blah blah. The whole reason they're doing that is so they can skip the guy, skip paying the guy in the back of, back room that's typing in whatever I've written down. Yes. And it's a smoothening uh, that's going on, and they're all excited about it. But at the end of the day, I'm still typing in all this information that's, right. that's effectively unnecessary. That's right. You, what you should be able to do is walk in and pull up an app that says, here's my token for... Yeah, this you gives you think, access tap to tap it on the uh, you know right. tap it on the payment thing, right? And or then tap it, it on their system, and yeah. all the information transfers that they need to know, right? And then you if know. you want more, we can arrange a, a you know a different token that that that's gives right. you access to more. If that's you know, yeah, if it turns out I need to know your blood type or whatever, right. whatever that oh these uh, you know Mr. Brownworth today we're going to need to know this or yeah. whatever. Uh, you know, what's your dental history? Well, that's not normal. Maybe that's a different token or whatever. Sure. Uh, and so you've got this ability. And I think it, the, really the, the, the fact that we're walking around with this device that has n- effectively no limit on the number of tokens or identities that we can generate. Yeah. And I, I think it would work something like what we're already used to with, you know, how when you, uh, when you authorize Facebook, a new app for Facebook, they ask you, you know, you know Facebook wants to access to everything. You know, they want access to your wall. They want access to your friend list. They want access to this or that. And I think these this token generation mechanism would would in some ways look a lot like that. You'd pull something up and say, "I need a token that has my medical history, uh, you know, my son's medical history, and you know these three other things." Go mm. and boom, I've got a new token. There's access granted because I've to- I've authoritatively given the application the ability to do that. And now the doctor's office has what they need, but they don't, again, they're not having to, they don't have access to everything else. Just by getting access to my social security number, somebody sitting in that, you know, in the back office of that, of that medical practice can, you know, write those down on some other piece of paper, take them, hand them to somebody else who Mm -hmm. then uses my identity for whatever they want. It's just completely broken. I think the important thing to remember here is that the way systems work now were not were was not pieced together in an unreasonable fashion when it was pieced together that's right when when these things were designed it was reasonable to do these things the world worked in a very different way the the cost of copying was far far higher and so i mean in, in another case in point of exactly the same thing 
is in the financial world, there's this thing called the travel rule, which is when there is a transfer of money above some certain limit, financial from financial institution to financial institution, the information of that person needs to travel with the payment that's um, being made. In other words, the financial system is a closed and trusted system. And when one, you know, high net worth individual pushes money to another high, high net worth individual, the information about who both parties are is shared in both directions in that network. Now, and the reason for that is just so that uh, the, the system can track uh, well, the who's reason sending for money it, to whom. No, it's, it's really right, but it's really practical. It's really so that uh, a, a court can go to any financial institution and lay down a subpoena and have both sides of each I transaction. See. That's why it is, because it's more, it would be more expensive for them to go to say, look at this transaction. Okay, you know, Bob Smith or whoever has, is the recipient of the illegal funds. The, uh, you know, this is a money laundering operation, let's sure. say. So who is on the other side of that? Well, in order, we know that that came from, uh, let's say, Bank of America. So now we have to go subpoena Bank of America and find out who was on the other side of that transit. It's just really uh, a lot of work compared to just going to this one institution getting both sides. So the travel rule is this is was put in place to make identity flow with financial transactions that happen. And you you can imagine that in the Bitcoin world this is anathema. There's no way. I mean you 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 can't I mean you don't know who sent you the money. You just know that uh, some money was signed over to you on the public ledger. That's that's right. how you get paid. They don't send you money. They just, you know, in the yeah, public. Yeah, transfer sign effectively. It. Yeah, it, yeah, transfer of ownership to a to a new private key. Yeah, you know, it's almost the, like a it's almost like you signing over the pink slip to your car uh, to somebody else. That's effectively really yeah. what you're doing. You're saying, you know, I'm I used to have this. Now yeah. I don't, and this person now does. Yeah, it, it, it locks up the ability to spend into a key that is owned by somebody else. That's, that's what sending money in Bitcoin is, is all about. So it's a radically different, uh, you know, it's a radically different, I should say somebody or something. I mean, obviously computers can manage private keys on their own and and make decisions on their own especially for example a trading engine uh, you might have a trading engine that acts for you in certain ways or, or just acts on its own in certain ways so as to make money and trades back and forth um, so yeah so the, it's you see what you see colliding here is a not unreasonable way that the world was designed back in the day colliding with a fundamental new reality that yeah. makes it laughable uh you know you would never design the world in That's the right. way which it's designed uh you know and you see the united states for example paying this with this huge debt in terms of infrastructure in terms of way things are done in the old world we're, we're having to somehow figure our way out whereas 
maybe well not Estonia but but like you know developing countries a good example would be some african countries that essentially had no phone network and no electricity and then suddenly you snap your fingers and they all have cell phones so they totally skipped the landline problem that's right they didn't and have to go through the no migration infra- yeah there's no infrastructure costs it's, yeah it's it's just this so it is cheaper for them to do that and when they realize oh this is you know people we we can we can supply a phone service via cell and we don't have to put wires everywhere that's much cheaper let's just do that okay and then they do it and then they look all brilliant but the the reality of the matter is the other developed nations have a debt in this infrastructure in the banking infrastructure in the telecom infrastructure and many other areas that they need to address uh, and, and one of the biggest ones, and I think it's kind of the topic of the show, is the debt we have in in people's way of doing things in their minds. Mm-hmm. I know, like it's a training thing. I know that in order to buy something at Target, I need to pull my card out, swipe it through this machine, and it's going to be hacked in six months. Yep. So, you know, I, knowing what you have to do and kind of what is in the world takes – time for people to understand oh uh, anonymity is is not necessarily where pseudonymity is not necessarily a bad thing uh i i can use these for good reasons i it'd be it'd be helpful for myself to track how much i get paid for this and how much i get paid for that by putting two different addresses out there or whatever yep. the thing is yeah um, i think that's right and i think uh, your point about developed versus developing is a good one it's almost like uh, the analogy would be uh, an IBM trying to do something versus a startup, right? The startup sure, has the right. advantage of having no debt to pay off in terms of how things have always been done or the systems that are currently in place or all of those things. They get to start from zero yeah. and invent the world the way they want it. And I think that's what we're seeing in these other countries that can move a bit more quickly. Candidly, the the other advantage they have is that they have, you know, under 5 million people instead of over 300 million people. Right. You know, you can make those, you can make things happen a lot more quickly and all of those kinds of things. So, yep, that's anyway, true. Um, all right, good stuff. So, we will put the, we will put the link to the book. Uh, I think everyone that's listening to this show should go read it. And uh, it's, it's, it's an hour and a half to read it. And it will change the way you think about what's possible. And, and furthermore, I think it, it helps to kind of further this discussion and get more people thinking about what's the right way uh, to address identity and credentialing in the future and all of these topics that are going to be front and center really over the next five to ten years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back uh, next week with another show. All right.